in anything in business or in life, it's very wise to invest in relationships with people when you don't need them. Welcome to CMO Masterclass, a podcast dedicated to understanding what makes the world's best marketers tick, their views on customers, markets, brands, technology, and the threats and opportunities they see on the horizon. I'm Phil Huzzard, Agency Principal of DPR and Co Melbourne. Thanks for joining me. Let's get the show on the road. Today, I'm speaking with Simon Martin, CEO of Starwood Whiskey. Simon was voted as one of Australia's top 50 CMOs during his time at Treasury Wines. And Simon and I sit on the board of the St. Vincent's Institute Foundation in Victoria. And I've always found him to be the personification of a calm, wise, patient, but authoritative uh, director. But I also know that he remains a formidable executive And I felt that the CMOs and CEOs that we work with here at DPR & Co would benefit from his insights into what makes him a standout performer during his time uh, as CMO of Treasury Wines and more recently as the CEO of Starwood Whiskey. Simon, welcome. Thanks, Phil. Good to be with you. Let's begin. Simon, you rose through the ranks of Fosters and continued your ascent as a marketer with Treasury Wines. Can you give a 60-second, or indeed it can by all means go longer, a snapshot of your on your career to date? Yeah, sure, Phil. Uh, I, I've spent 25 years of my career uh, in the booze industry, uh, working across spirits and wine, and was lucky enough you know, to, to get the opportunity to work with what was a phenomenal business called Foster's Group out of Melbourne. And, and worked my way through there in marketing roles, in spirits at Foster's and then into wine and was lucky enough to work with brilliant people, some of the best talent I felt in Australia and, and in other parts of the world. And uh, ended up through the demerger of Foster's where CUB separated uh, and the wine business separated and became Treasury Wine Estates to have uh, a role there as the managing director of the Wolf Blast business unit and then also the Penfolds business unit. And then in the last four years that I was with Treasury, ended up as their global CMO, which was a, a privilege to have such an opportunity to work on their incredible brands and with the great people that we had in the team. And then uh, left Treasury after a great run uh, and some of the best experiences in my career. Uh, and joined a a small business at a sort of different scale, but with massive potential at Starwood Distillery here in Melbourne, which is really exciting. And I'm sure we'll talk about that later on. We will. And thank you, Simon. I know that you were the part author, at least, of Penfold's move from being just purely a wine brand into being a, a global premium brand which is a remarkable achievement and a and a big strategic decision and an important one for Penfolds, uh, particularly with some of their premium wine brands such as Grange. But one of the outstanding quotes from your time as the CMO of Treasury Wines was, when businesses and markets mature, growth will predominantly come through innovation, disruption and creativity. New ideas are gold. 
How did you, Simon, as CMO, contribute to a culture of innovation at an organization with so many great heritage brands? Yeah, Phil, at Treasury, we did have amazing brands. Um, Many of them were very large brands that had been around for a while or or, or more than a while um, with, with the vision and agenda that we had to be the world's most successful wine business, we really needed to drive uh, a level of uh, growth in the business at the time to deliver upon that vision and incrementality wasn't going to get us there. You know, So we, we had uh, quite a lot of resource and focus on innovation and creativity. And, you know, some of the simple things we did was to sort of de-emphasize what we would call small I innovation and really put our effort into big I innovation. So the big plays, the big launches or changes in strategy or investments that were going to move the needle on those heritage brands in a big business like Treasury. And, and so that focus on the big plays, the big bets, uh, was one of the things that I think made everyone in the business clear on what the innovation objective was. But the other side of it was some simple things, which was really harnessing some of the great ideas that sat within people who were already in the organisation and particularly in the winemaking side of the business. And so we introduced an internal competition that ran every year where the winemakers actually got to present their ideas for new things into the business. And that was one of our best, most powerful generators of of creativity came from our own people and not even in the marketing team. And so that that was a great uh, asset that we built internally and, and as a legacy and I believe continues to this day. Amazing. And and clearly Penfolds has some of the most skilled winemakers in the country. And, and it's it's a pretty formidable um, range of, of wines at Penfolds. But obviously, you know, they're just one of the treasury wine brands. And I can only imagine the, the, the volume of human capital that would be embedded within that company. It's amazing. How, Simon, do you think those experiences at Penfolds carry forward into your spirit of innovation that you're bringing to Starwood? There's so many parallels between Treasury and Starwood, but there's so many things that are different as well. The scale um, of Starwood is is small, um, but growing quickly. And we have incredible internal ethos and culture at Starwood about innovation already. And that started with the founder of the business who's still with us and integral to that spirit. So like I talked about the winemakers at Treasury, we have a similar you know, thing here at Starwood with all our distillers and blenders who work in the distillery. And we don't need a competition here. We don't need to have that sort of process, that internal sort of view, because it's smaller here. We can just talk about it around the boardroom table or, or, or the kitchen table, as it might be, and really have a focus here on um, ideas that come through experiments in the distillery on the blending bench uh, or concepts that the team have. And what's really brilliant here is because we're nimble, uh, small and can make decisions quickly, we can also test things and make things much faster. 
And we've got an incredibly uh, successful bar here at the distillery with where the public can come in and we, we like to test out our ideas live, um, you know, almost live real-time market research at the bar and we get feedback that is brilliant from our consumers here that we can you know, then make decisions around what we're doing in terms of our brand innovation, our product innovation, our process innovation. And so that experience that I've had previously is, you know, is something that I've really enjoyed being able to support with the team here at Starwood. Well, I can attest to the quality of the experience at the distillery. It's an amazing place to be. Simon, I imagine that uh, continuous learning is something that you're committed to. Our director, one of our directors, Simon Reynolds, always advises uh, the executives he coaches to work harder on yourself than you do on your company. Can you tell us about your commitment to working on yourself and how it's contributed to your success? Well, that, that's actually a, a tricky question. Um, if I think about it, I, I actually have, you know, in, in all honesty, um, is actually I don't think something I've been particularly good at um, through my career and working on myself. I think in in the intense environment of um, some of the organisations I've worked with, you know, driving high performance and results, um, I ended up being focused more <laughs> in a funny way on the business and the team uh, and my family than myself. Uh, and I, I don't think that's unusual when you're, um, you know, people get caught up in a lot of that stuff and you do forget about yourself. So it's something um, I think a, as I've got older, we'll, we'll need to become something I spend more time on and think about harder. It's, a, it's an interesting balance, isn't it, between obviously the fact that you're a leader and that you're bringing people on and you're focused on their outcome and then that replenishment in the uh, skills so that you can continue to maintain that leadership role uh, is really is, is an interesting balance to try and maintain, I'd imagine. Yeah, I, I think working on myself really came through, you know, doing the job every day that you were there to do and the, the ongoing sort of the learning about by doing and, and, and occasionally being thrown in the deep end or an area that you didn't really know. Um, was sort of how that worked out for me. And uh, I think, you know, partly moving from a, being in a CMO role to a CEO role now uh, has been another example of that, where, you know, I've had to take on a whole lot of different areas in a, in a very different business um, that has become, you know, that learning and development experience live. And I, I think that's the best way to do it. Um, Simon, one of the things that constantly arises for CMOs is the need to ensure that they do not become the handmaidens of people with a, a, a stronger relationship to the P&L. And uh, I've seen it in a number of instances where the role of marketing has been seen as colouring in uh, and, and its importance in understanding the customer and the consumer is not given due regard. Can you share an aspect of how you ensured that you, as a CMO, earned the respect and deference of other members of the C-suite at uh, Treasury Wines? Sure. I, I never felt that at Treasury. In, in fact, um, at Treasury, it was always um, internally, externally talked as 
uh, a business that was focused on driving growth in the category and through our own brands and success by building brands for the long term in a quality way that would deliver you know sustainable consistent results and as a group uh, at the leadership team and leadership table that there was a hundred percent commitment and alignment to that and certainly sponsored by the CEO there at the time but it was you know, never seen as the uh, design department put it that way or, or just the uh, advertising department and, and I think um, the respect that came you know with the responsibility there was because the marketing team at Treasury that we drove did have commercial understanding did have understanding of the practicalities of our production and supply chain capabilities and and did understand the needs of our distributors and salespeople around the world on what it felt like to stand in their shoes every day. So I think by doing lots of listening, by partnering with people and, and respecting the responsibilities of others and bringing that into the toolkit of the marketing team meant that we we were respected and given the responsibility to drive the growth and the agenda and everyone else sort of you know felt part of it so it, it was part of the success that we had at treasury for a long time and i'd imagine that you'd be mirroring that uh behavior as a ceo at starwood whiskey as well well it's part of you know the values and the, the behaviors that really works for me uh, which is having a really uh, a collaborative team uh, and a respectful team and uh, you know having making sure everyone's aligned and that we're all in it together to achieve the outcome uh, comes by by working like that and uh, absolutely bringing it to Starwood. Simon could you tell us something that's contributed to your success as a CMO that you think is not commonly understood by current or aspiring CMOs? Well, many CMOs uh, in Australia and around the world are you know, often thought to be creative types, types who uh, you know, are good at articulating uh, you know, what a brand idea is and how to position it and how to communicate USP and features and benefits and leaning into selling. But I, I think one of the things that uh, was a little differentiating for me uh, and I think really helped me was being uh, very in touch, in, in depth and uh, literate with all of the data and numbers that floated around the business. And at times understanding the drivers of the business the, you know the components of different elements of the PL and the balance sheet and the cash flow all, almost to a level of what you know you would expect a CFO to understand now that just came naturally to me because I, I like numbers and I like to understand what's going on but I really I think a powerful and effective marketing leader needs to be really good at that and balancing you know the the, the rational logical side of the business with the the creative and, and consumer side of the business. And if you can bring it together, you can really make a difference. Simon, uh, what, given, you know, with 2020 hindsight, uh, what would you have done more of as a CMO? And, and can you think of what you might have done less of? Um, 
in doing more of, I think in hindsight, I would have liked to have spent more time with the team, particularly in a mentoring and coaching aspect. I think, again, a big business, you get caught up in there's just so much going on and how do you prioritize your time? And with international travel, which was much more normal back then, um, it meant less time. Um, and and, and I particularly mean with sort of uh, the less experienced but high potential team members who could be fast tracked. And if you, I'd had uh, more line of sight and more hands on in you know connection and involvement, I think it could have benefited the team and the business a lot. Uh, that's what I would have liked to have done more of. Uh, less of pro- probably uh, worrying about the small stuff. Uh, you know, I think with 2020 vision, you know, there's you can see it clearly now. There were some big decisions and big ideas that really moved the needle. And a lot of the other stuff that you, you spent time on or you spent dollars on didn't. And so um, I, I think that's, in hindsight, what I would have done. And as a corollary of that, can you uh, recall any of the failures that you've experienced and and perhaps how they've contributed to your success? Yeah, I think, without going into specifics, but some of the failures were actually big bets, big plays that you sort of committed to and thought were going to make a difference but didn't. And I think the bravery and sort of making courageous decisions out of those failures and learning and accepting failure uh, and saying, well, at least we tried and I'd rather try again than not at all became, you know, the best way of learning in that role and in that organisation. And so, you know, I, I sitting here now still think I'd rather have failed and learnt out of it than just not tried at all. Uh, and, and, you know, in organisations, there are a lot of people who don't want to have the failure and therefore don't learn. Uh, and, and so getting into that level of uncomfortableness um, and, and accepting that things might not work, I think in the long run does benefit you. And I think that's that sort of sanguine approach uh, is reflected in your approach as a director as well from what I've seen, it's very evident in the way that you're working with St. Vincent's Institute Foundation as well. Certainly, there's a there's a calmness and a, I guess, an almost a philosophical approach to some of the decisions that I've seen you be part of. And one thing I do notice is that you don't seem to be in too much of a hurry, uh, which I always find to be refreshing as well. It's funny you say that. I, I I'm. Not necessarily a fast mover, but I do like to make decisions quickly. Um, and it's, I, I think it's about adjusting to the organisation that you're working within. And so, you know, the pace, uh, the, the rhythm uh, and, and the stakeholders at somewhere like St Vincent's obviously very different to a commercial organisation uh, like, like Starwood Whiskey. Indeed. Do you, uh, Simon, have a a set of guiding principles or core values in how you approach uh, your role? And and indeed, going back to when you were a CMO, uh, a a set of guiding principles. And how did you apply these to your agency relationships? 
I don't really have a sort of a personal set of values in as such, but one of the things that a wise, wise person told me in my journey at Treasury, and I grasped it with both hands, and I think it's a, it's a really good principle, is in anything in business or in life, it's very wise to invest in relationships with people when you don't need them so that uh, when the time inevitably comes when you do need help or you do need a favour or you need someone to be on your team, that investment you've made, you can then call on and people will want to help. And I think that principle, I, I really, it really connects with me, which is um, something I try to do is, you know, try to invest in relationships and give. Um, and, and so when it does come to asking for a favour, people absolutely always say, of course. And I think, you know, your point here around how to apply that to agency relationships, that's how I do it and it's how I see it. Um, it's a strategic partnership where you invest in in collaboration and respect and um, understanding and listening all the time. Uh, and so then when things do go wrong or you need help, uh, you know, people are more than willing to, to lean in and, and, um, and, and be part of your team. And so uh, I think that's a great guiding principle. It works for me and, you know, I tell lots of people about it as well. It's almost like having a relationship capital bank, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, it's good to be in positive, uh, to have a positive balance. Yeah, and it, well, it really doesn't, you know, it really doesn't cost you anything to, you know, invest in relationships and that, you know, it's that conversation, the coffee, the, you know, just how you're going um, and, and what can, is there anything I can help you with goes a long way. Indeed. Simon, I'm just going to ask you to, um, lift your eyes towards the horizon for a moment. Uh, what what do you see as being the most important thing on either the economic or business horizon that marketers are going to need to deal with in the near future? That, that's a big question. I, there's a lot of things on the horizon, but I, I think in in the marketing sphere and business side of things, um, we have more data. Uh, and insights now than we've probably ever had we, with over the last two years, how much business has moved online, um, which has created more data than ever. And, and when you have the data, it sort of leads to, in a way, you thinking you've got everything understood, covered, almost predictable, and you think you know what's going to happen. And, and I think the, the sort of the what's outside of the box that is on the horizon is actually volatility that the data won't help you with. And so um, it's one of the things I think about often is when things change and there is volatility in what's coming ahead, what, what capability and mechanisms have we got to handle that and to deal with the, the unpredictable nature of what might happen? Um, so it's sort of building a muscle uh, in the company to be able to to zig when you've got a zig or zag when you've got a zag and you may not know it's coming. That that's that's one of the things. And I think as a marketer, where you are thinking probably uh, further out and longer term, that, that that volatility 
uh, and, and building the muscle to deal with that. So it means things like resilience and it means, uh, you know, investing for the long term are things that I think we need to think about. As a related issue, uh, there's been a lot of talk about the rise of the CMO as technology has connected organisations more closely to their customers and indeed customer data and with marketing being at the forefront of that connectedness. How do you see the role of the CMO evolving uh, in the near future? And do you see agency partners evolving with them in tandem? I, I think in many organisations, the CMO, the, the, the marketing leader has been sort of um, a leader and, and a uh, inspirer of the business, of their strategy, of their performance, uh, if they're a branded organisation of, you know, where the brand takes them and sort of being the the thought leader who brings uh, focus but also energy and excitement into an organisation. And, and I think the evolution on that, I think, is taking that to the next level, which is how all of that contributes to the culture of an organisation, uh, both internally and externally. And, and I think a lot of marketing leaders do play a role in that, but I think it's going to become even more and more important uh, in our world because of the impact that has on the reputation of the company, the organisation that you're working with. And so I, I think there's going to be increased uh, involvement of marketing in, in culture, uh, in driving reputation, uh, and and that's a natural connection to where you know agencies can help uh, as partners to drive that change and bring even more horsepower to the table, so to speak, um, on the organisational culture being a, a key success factor of those businesses and having marketing partner with, with uh, leaders across businesses to to, to develop, deliver that. You know, so it, it probably broadens the remit of the marketing leader in a, in a sort of adjacent strategic creative aspect of all businesses, which, you know, is, is their culture and values and ultimately what makes an organisation successful in the long term. And I think uh, trust is becoming uh, so much of, at a premium uh, that the CMO's role in in reputation management and how fragile organisational reputation is at the moment uh, only goes to reinforce the CMO's role as a guardian of that uh, of brand trust and reputation. 100%, absolutely. Well, Simon, it's just been such a great pleasure talking to you and I've learned a lot and I'm hoping that our audience finds this to be as uh, interesting and, and as insightful as I have. So thank you so much. No problem. Been, been a lot of fun. Thanks, Phil. And uh, I hope everyone out there enjoys a little taste of Starwood whiskey at some point in the next year. That's it for this edition of CMO Masters. Click the link for a transcript of this interview. I look forward to you joining me again for the next edition of CMO Masterclass.